uh, it's quite an embarrassing story actually, because I wasn't even in the driver's seat at the time. So my Jeep, I drove it all the way around Africa. So it had done a lot of miles and the handbrake, the emergency brake didn't work very well. So I was in Uganda, this really remote spot. I came over a hill and there was Lake Albert in front of me, this beautiful lake. And I really wanted to get a photo. So I parked the Jeep. It was on a little bit of a hill and I got out to take a photo. And so I walked maybe like 20 yards away from the Jeep and it started to roll down the hill by itself. Welcome back to another episode of Drive With Us Podcast, a podcast where we explore driving cultures around the world by bringing on a new guest each episode to talk about the crazy things they've experienced on the road, who they are as drivers, and how they became the driver they are today. I'm Bhavni. And I'm Taryn G. And today's driver is Dan Grek, all the way from Australia. Dan has been to so many different countries and he shares with us his crazy experiences of driving in Africa and the Pan American Highway and many more places. Like the time his Jeep ended up rolling down a hill straight into a rock wall. Dan is an adventurer, writer, photographer, and snowboarder based in the Canadian Rockies. After successfully driving the length of the Pan American Highway from Alaska to Argentina, Dan then completed a 54,000 mile, 35 country circumnavigation of the African continent in his Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. Now he is setting out to explore his homeland with an expedition to all of Australia's wild and remote corners. Let's meet today's driver. Welcome Dan to Drive With Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're super excited to talk to you since you've been so many places around the world. Before we dive into your crazy driving experiences, tell the listeners a little bit about where you've been. So what are some of the places that you've driven and where are you currently? I'm originally from Australia. You can tell by the accent and that's actually where I am right now. But years ago, I moved over to Canada and after working at a desk for years, I decided I wanted to have a more adventurous life. And so I drove to the top of Alaska, all the way to the Arctic Ocean. And then I turned around and I drove south all the way to the bottom of South America. So I drove through all of North America, Central America and South America through 17 countries, which changed my whole life, camping, hiking, driving my own vehicle. And it was something that I became addicted to. And so when I got back home, I manipulated my whole life around just to save money and plan and do it all again. And then I drove all the way around Africa. So basically I started in Morocco in the Northwest and I drove all the way down the West coast of Africa through about 17 countries. Then when I got to South Africa, I regrouped and drove all the way back up the East coast, all the way to Egypt. So I drove through 35 different countries in Africa, again, with my own four wheel drive, camping, cooking all my own meals and just having adventures out in the wilderness. And it's become a real passion of mine to, to explore the whole world that way. That's awesome. I, I'm a little like, you know, jealous of all your driving experiences. What made you decide to do the Pan American Highway first? Well, I was living in Canada at the time and I'd always been fixated on Alaska. I think I read Call of the Wild when I was young and those epic mountains and the wilderness. And for my whole life, I'd thought, I wish I could go to Alaska. And then one day I was like, it's right there. It's like a three day drive or a four day drive. So I thought now is the time let's go for it. I threw my little tent in the back of my Jeep and I hit the road. And then a friend of mine said, if you want to skip the winter, why don't you head down to Mexico? I was like, oh, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I like the sound of that. 
And then the whole thing just snowballed. And, and once I was in Mexico, I was like, why don't I drive into Belize? And then why don't I drive into Guatemala? And it just kept rolling of like, this is so much fun. I don't want it to end. Oh, that's cool. So originally you weren't planning on going the whole way. And then you're just like, why not one more? Why not one more? <laughs> and I made it all the way down. Yeah. Originally, I found it really stressful to try and think about doing the whole thing. I remember early on, people would tell me, oh, you're going to love Peru. And, you know, when you get to Argentina, make sure you go here. And, and I remember saying like, no, 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 slow down. Like that's way too far away. I don't want all that stress and all that pressure. I'm just going to go for as long as I feel like it. And if I'm scared or if I don't feel safe or something goes wrong, I'll just do something else. I, I didn't want to commit to the whole thing. So it was, it was more just like go until I'm not enjoying myself anymore and whatever that turned out to be. How was the drive? Did it go smoothly? The drive went very smoothly on the scale of how smoothly these things can go. But it's, it's like a whole different world. Some of those driving experiences, I still have dreams about them or I still think about it when I'm, when I'm driving here in Australia. It's extremely organized and peaceful driving. Over there, it's hectic driving. And so it's like the opposite world. What was your most favorite stop, like point that you drove through and what was your least favorite? It's, it's really, I feel like it almost does it a disservice to sort of pick one place because people always say, what about this other one? But in general, I actually fell in love with Alaska. And I moved after I finished the trip, I actually moved and lived in Northern Canada, just a couple of hours from the border of Alaska. Because when you're up there, there's, there's something special about the wilderness and about the mountains and the length of the days in summer, the sun's up for 22 hours a day. And just to be able to go and, you know, hike up a mountain and not see another person and you only see a moose or you see a bear or then in the winter you see the northern lights. And so for me, Alaska, I think, is one of or the most beautiful place I've ever been in my whole life. And, and I'll go back for the rest of my life. I love it so much. And in terms of least favorite, hmm. When I was in Central America, Honduras at the time had a bit of a bad reputation for corrupt police and military, and they try to extort you, they, they try to get money out of you. And so I actually drove across the entire country of Honduras in a single day. So I got up really early in the morning in El Salvador, crossed the border into Honduras, drove a few hundred miles across Honduras, and then crossed the border into Nicaragua. And so that was like an 18-hour day or something. It was enormous, and it was exhausting and stressful and i don't recommend that anyone do that if they can help it yeah so that was just one of those kind of countries where you're like let me just get through it as fast as i can so as you were taking this drive did you encounter different types of drivers and would you say there's certain types of drivers in certain areas that you drove through oh definitely yeah there, there are different drivers everywhere but in general, I would say Latin America has a vibe to the driving that, that you can adjust to and you can get used to. You get into Mexico and it builds and it builds, and then you get to one of the really big cities. I think for me, it was Acapulco. It was the first multi-million city. And I call it make it up driving. So it basically means the rules aren't important. Stop signs don't mean stop. Red lights don't mean stop. It just means go wherever your vehicle can fit. So... If you come to a stop sign and there's nobody coming, just go, don't, don't slow down. Or if, if you're coming up to an intersection, if, if the vehicle that's in your way is smaller than you, just go and it will get out of your way. And so there's, there's all these kind of adjustments. And, and also you don't have to use turn signals and you don't have to check your blind spot because the cars behind you, they'll just get out of your way. If, if you just feel like 
stopping in the middle of the road to let a passenger out or something, but the vehicles behind you will see that and they'll stop. And so you, you have to really, you have to concentrate a lot more because it's all very uncertain. You, you never know what's going to happen next. But at the same time, as long as everyone's concentrating really hard, it actually works. The traffic flows amazingly well, given how chaotic the whole thing is. So it, it did take quite a while to adjust. But once you get used to it, once you're okay with this, just, oh, I'm just going to go and see what happens. It, it's scary, but then you adjust to it and it, it just becomes your new normal. I feel like, at least here in the US, I don't think people pay attention as much. And I don't know how well that would work here. Like, you really have to pay attention in that situation. And if those drivers didn't pay attention, I can just imagine how much chaos it could cause. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I, I think I read a statistic in developed countries, a lot of accidents happen because a light turns green. And so people just go and they actually crash into a car that's already in the intersection. Because they didn't even look if it was safe to go. They just went because the light told them to go. And, and so that to me always defines the difference between driving in a well-organized country like Australia or the US versus driving in Latin America. One, you trust the rules and, and you think that if you just follow the rules, you'll be safe. But then the other one is like you completely throw away the rules and just do whatever you think is safe. How would you compare that to African driving? Did you notice any particular types of drivers there? It was actually really, it was really familiar and it, it was a really warm, fuzzy feeling when I drove into Morocco, which was the first country I drove into in Africa. The first roundabout I got to, it was like the memories came flooding back of like, oh, I remember what this is like. And, and there was a handful of chaotic intersections where, where I should have gone, but didn't, or I did, but didn't, you know. And then after like an hour, I was straight back into the rhythm of it. It's very similar, like along the same ideas. I would say though, African driving, it differs a little bit in that I think a lot of the, the less developed countries there, people are just proud to be able to operate a vehicle. So it, it's an achievement to say, I have a driver's license and I know how to operate a vehicle. And that to them means driving. So they're like, yes, I can drive. But the part they're missing is the like, can you stay in your own lane? Can you use a turn signal? Can you, you know, can, can you do it safely or can you do it within some rules? That's irrelevant in a lot of Africa. So the driving is even more make it up as you go along. It's even more, you, you be on a road, everyone's moving along at a good speed. And then there'll just be a vehicle doing a quarter of the speed limit because he has an enormous load of like corn or wheat and weighs like double the legal limit. And the driver's just putting along with his music blaring, doing his own thing, irrelevant of all the other drivers. It's like, oh, they'll get out of my way. Don't worry. How crazy did it feel once you went back to like Canada or Australia after driving there? It was really strange to go back to realizing like I had to actually pay attention to the speed limit and I had to use my turn signals. And it was, it was funny. I was really scared for a while that I was going to get tickets and I was going to get in lots of trouble. I know you've mentioned earlier that you had an instance in Africa where your Jeep rolled over? That's right. Yes, it's, uh, it's quite an embarrassing story, actually, because <laughs> I wasn't even in the driver's seat at the time. So my Jeep, I drove it all the way around Africa. So it had done a lot of miles and the handbrake, the emergency brake didn't work very well. And, and I knew that and I'd been dealing with it for years and it was okay. So I was in Uganda in this really remote spot. I came over a hill and there was Lake Albert in front of me, this beautiful lake. And I really wanted to get a photo. So I parked the Jeep. It was on a little bit of a hill and I got out to take a photo. 
And so I walked maybe like 20 yards away from the Jeep and it started to roll down the hill by itself. Even though I'd left it in first gear and the e-brake was on, it rolled anyway because it was so heavy. And I saw it start to move and I was terrified and I ran, but I had no chance of catching it. So it went probably like 10 car lengths and then it smacked into this big rock wall that was on the side of the gravel road and that made it tip over onto its side. So in the span of about five seconds, it just went like bang, crash, smash down on its side. And the Jeep weighed like 6,000 pounds and it, and it was my whole house with my bed and my fridge and all my passport and laptop and and it was suddenly useless and broken. That was the most terrifying thing that happened to me and and the worst accident I've ever had. But obviously, I mean, it was really good that there was no one else around. It didn't hit anyone. It didn't go through a village or like it, it could have been so, so much worse. It was a, a real lapse in concentration. It was a big mistake on my behalf. I guess you had to get another car after that. Were you able to, was the Jeep be like usable after that? I was terrified that all the windows would be broken and it would be dinted and scratched. And and actually a ton of locals showed up because they heard all the crashing and everything. And, and they were like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a car. It's not a big deal. And so they pushed on the back corner and I had a winch on the front of the Jeep and I winched it to a tree. And with them pushing and using the winch, it, it just came back up onto its wheels. I was really surprised how easily that happened. And it was mostly okay. Like, the rear view mirror was smashed off. There was dints and scratches down the side. But actually, I put some duct tape on it. I checked everything out for a few hours and then I kept driving it. And actually, I still drove it for the rest of the trip and then in Canada for years afterwards. And it's fine. Duct tape. That's the solution. <laughs> well, that's awesome that you were still able to use it and it didn't get damaged that much. Yeah, I was so lucky that it didn't do real damage to the steering or the engine or anything like that. In terms of driving, are you someone that prefers to be the driver or the passenger? Oh, I'm the driver every time. <laughs> no, no question on that. In the cases that you were the passenger, have you ever gotten in a car where you're like, oh my gosh, this was not a good idea? I actually, these days I get a little bit car sick when I'm not driving. I guess it's something about I'm not concentrating on the corners and not too long ago in Canada, I was on a really windy mountain road and it was a really hot day and I was in the backseat of a friend's car and it wasn't so much that he was driving crazy. He was driving a little bit crazy, but he's a good driver, but just the, the constant windiness and the heat and, and I got really, really car sick and I was like, oh, please, can I drive? And so he ended up letting me drive because then I didn't get car sick. I can relate to you. I definitely get car sick a little bit. And for that reason, I prefer to drive. I'm interested to know, because I know we touched on this a little bit of some of the countries you've driven through. How would you describe the drivers in Canada and Australia versus the other countries you've been in? I would say Canadians and Australians, they're very much rule followers. So they're very placid and just do what the rules say to do. So if, if the speed limit says 60 miles an hour, then you should drive at 60 miles an hour. And that you just put your trust in that. And even when the conditions are bad, you don't really adjust your driving. Whereas in other countries, I would say people just, they're more freestyle. They just ignore the rules and they do, they use their own judgment of what they think is safe, which works really well most of the time. But then occasionally you see like a huge big accident or you see a truck roll over or something. 
because the person used bad judgment and they went too fast for the conditions. What would you say out of all the places that you've been, what is one of your most craziest experiences? Right up there at the top of the list would be when I was in Peru, I was really excited driving all of these windy mountain roads. There's little gravel roads like glued to the side of the mountain. And buses in Peru are just a certain type of suicidal. And so you're coming around these hairpin blind corners. You can't see the oncoming traffic. And halfway around the corner, a bus is coming towards you and it's in your lane because he's just cut the corner as he's coming around. This had happened to me two or three times and just terrified me. You have to swerve really hard to avoid hitting the bus. And so after that, I would just, before I turned into any corner, I would just honk the horn repeatedly. So just like beep, 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 trying to warn oncoming traffic. But I guess I got this like PTSD or some ingrained fear of at every corner, I would tense up and be scared and timid. And and in Latin America, my, my Jeep was pretty little, so I could usually zigzag out of the way, but it was always nerve wracking, those, those roads in Peru. And then they had this national culture. Basically every day, there's a huge bus crash and lots of people are killed. And it ends up on the front page of the newspaper pretty much every day of another bus crash, like 50 people dead, but nobody changes their driving style or you come across a bus on the wrong side of the road. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, this is why so many people are killed in crashes, but it's every day for them. Sometimes in those situations, it's like seeing someone else be in that accident doesn't really impact you as much as when you actually get in an accident, then I feel like more people are like, okay. Now it's time to change something. Yeah, it's funny like that. People need the personal experience before they're like, oh, that's what it's actually like. Now in Peru, do they drive on the right-hand side or the left? Because I'm trying to picture, were you on the outside of the mountain road on the edge of the mountain when you're trying to make these turns or were you on the inside? Now you're testing my memory because here in Australia, (laughs) I'm driving on the left. I need to concentrate to think about that. So pretty much every country in Latin America drives on the right, the same as the US and Canada. But those mountain roads in Peru, it it depended which direction I was going, which side the cliff was. But there were days I was on the edge of the cliff and the bus was coming towards me. That's why it was so nerve wracking and why I would always bury the horn. That's crazy. And I think you mentioned that you've also driven on the death road in Bolivia. I did drive the death road. Yeah, the, the world's famous road of being the most deadly road in the world. And it is a really narrow gravel road. And again, the buses and the trucks just drive like maniacs. And it used to be probably like 20 years ago now, it used to be really dangerous because it was so busy. There were hundreds of buses and trucks every day, but now they've built a bigger bypass road. And so when I drove it, I think I only passed about five vehicles and it was, it was actually beautiful like sightseeing in, in the mountains of Bolivia. So it's, it's not as dangerous as it used to be, But I could totally understand if if you drove that on a day when there were even 10 or 20 buses, it would be terrifying. I don't think I would enjoy that at all. Yeah, you got really lucky taking Mm -hmm. it when there's nobody there. Exactly right. What would you say is, I know you've been talking about some places where it's scary to drive in. Which country was the most scariest to drive in? I guess there's different reasons for it to be scary. When I was in Nigeria, I was fairly scared would be the word I'd use. Nigeria is renowned. There are kidnappings that happen there. There is violence that happens there. Sort of bad things can happen. It's not unlikely or not impossible. And I teamed up with another couple in their four-wheel drive vehicle 
And we decided to drive across Nigeria as fast as we could. For about five or six days, we just drove like 14 hours a day on these big expressways where you're driving along at full speed, basically as fast as my four-wheel drive would go, like 70 miles an hour. And there's three lanes of traffic moving along, trucks, buses, and still with this like make it up style of driving where at any point in time, they'll just stop or swerve or there'll be like a military roadblock and everyone has to stop. And so you're doing this all at like high speed on these crumbling roads that have big potholes and boulders. And so it just felt, it felt dangerous from a driving perspective of like, if I have a crash right now, this is going to be very bad. And it felt dangerous from a like, I might get kidnapped perspective. So that you're kind of like, I don't want my car to break down because I'm also in a situation where like, oh no. (laughs) Exactly right. Yep. And it was scorching hot every day and I wasn't sleeping enough and I was drinking too much coffee. And so the whole experience in my mind is this like adrenaline fueled white knuckle. Let's cross Nigeria as fast as we can. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Now that we've heard some of your crazy driving experiences, let's dive into what type of driver you are. How would you describe the type of driver you are and would your family and friends agree? There's no doubt about it. My friends would say that I drive like a grandpa. I drive like (laughs) really slow, really smooth. I'm never in a rush. I usually drive like five or 10 below the speed limit. And part of that is because my vehicles just don't go any faster because they're big, heavy four-wheel drives. But part of that too, I think, is, is I have that ingrained memory of like, around the next corner, there could be a herd of donkeys on the road, or there could be a big pothole. And so I'm always driving really defensively and really concerned about what's coming. So yeah, very much a slow and cautious driver. Would you consider yourself someone who honks at other people? Typically, no, I don't honk, except a big part of make it up driving, when I explained earlier, is that you use your horn to communicate quite regularly especially in some countries, they're really good at it. Instead of checking your blind spot and changing lanes, you just tap your horn and then change lanes. When you tap your horn, you're saying to everyone around you like, hey, pay attention, I'm about to do something stupid. And then you're just allowed to do something stupid. (laughs) And so there were definitely some countries where I, I didn't use my horn out of anger or out of frustration. I just would just tap it briefly just to be like, hey guys, I'm, you know, pulling out into crazy traffic or I'm about to do a U-turn in the middle of five lanes. So I I think I blended with the local way of using the horn. I didn't use it out of anger. Did you, did that driving trait come back with you when you went to other countries? It definitely did. And I have quite a few habits now that are odd. And, And sometimes here when I'm driving with dad, I do things and he's like, whoa, 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 you can't do that. I like, go in the exit of a shopping center or I drive on the wrong side of the road to get around a slow car or yeah I I do things that are just like unpredictable or because I drive a four-wheel drive I can just put a tire up on the curb to to go around something or yeah I I don't necessarily follow the rules I do whatever I think makes sense at the time. It's being influenced by all those other drivers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's been years and years of my life of that style of driving. So now it's kind of part of how I drive. Would you consider yourself someone, so I know you don't really honk your horn, but would you consider yourself someone who gets road rage? Typically not. I think that I've practiced and cultivated this let it go mentality. 
because driving has been such a big part of my life and dealing with you know all the crazy drivers and all the different rules and all the different road conditions if you let it get to you i think you'd just be an angry stressed person all the time so usually i'm pretty chill occasionally i I let it all out and i i get a bit wild when something really bad happens or i see someone who quite literally is going to cause like a major accident that definitely makes me angry (laughs) i've been known to shake my fist a few times has anyone ever had road rage towards you? Oh, definitely. Because of all the make it up driving and sometimes I get it wrong. You, you get to like a four-way stop sign. I remember this really chaotic one in Argentina. It's right in the middle of Buenos Aires, the, the capital city. So it's a massive, massive city. And I'd actually sat on that intersection and had coffee a few times in this cafe. So I'd watched. And basically every car comes to the four-way stop doesn't actually stop, keeps going quite quickly and just times it right so that they go by just in front of and behind another vehicle going the other direction. So it's like this constant dance of all the cars almost crashing. But I watched it for hours and hours and there was never a crash and nobody ever got it wrong. And then right near the end of my trip, I had to actually drive through that intersection. And of course, I hesitated and chickened out and I slowed down too much. And then that broke the rhythm and then everybody else had to adjust because of what I'd done wrong. And so you could see people were pretty angry at that. They were like, come on, get out of the way. He's not from here. Exactly right. He's not from here. I think I got that quite often where people would just sort of like make some allowances and be like, oh, whatever, just get him out of the way and then we'll go back to doing it properly. That's hilarious a little bit now that you think back on it. Yeah, it was really, it's fun. And and oftentimes people will give you a thumbs up or people will laugh and be like, oh, silly foreigner. But it's it's usually in jest or it's usually everyone's just having a laugh and no harm done in the big scheme of things. Speaking of road rage, do you have any driving pet peeves yourself? Are there any driving pet peeves you have? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'm inclined to say something like driving way too slow or driving erratically or, but all of that has just become such a normal part of my life. I think I just am used to it now. And I'm like, oh yeah, that, that happens all the time. That's interesting. Yeah. I guess since you have been so many places, you've, you just have to adjust and just be like, okay, well, that's how they're driving. (laughs) Yeah. That being said though, I, I think tailgating bothers me. And since I just got to Australia about six weeks ago, I noticed Australians really tailgate. And I think it's because they're just so used to everything being safe and perfect. There aren't any herds of donkeys on the road. There aren't any potholes. So it's safe enough to drive really close to the vehicle in front of you. Like nothing bad has ever happened to doing that before. So why would it happen this time? Whereas I'm, I, I leave a lot of space to the vehicle in front of me because I'm expecting the most random thing in the world to happen. And then nothing. Yeah, here in Australia so far, nothing. <laughs> well, that's good. That's you don't right, need yeah. to have something that's all the right, time, right? Yeah. Fingers crossed it stays that way and, and not too many kangaroos jump out in front of me. Yeah, that's interesting that you brought up kangaroos. I know when we were there, our uncle mentioned that some kangaroos have flipped cars. Yeah, it's really surprising. I think kangaroos have a reputation of being like cute and cuddly and that's how people think of them. But actually kangaroos get really big, like much bigger than deer. And so it's more like hitting an elk or maybe even a small moose sometimes. So it can completely ride off a car, cause deaths when when you hit a kangaroo if you're unlucky. It's a really big problem hitting kangaroos on the road. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I did not realize how big kangaroos can get. Like, we saw this one that was super massive, and he was, like, totally jacked. And we're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Give you, like, the death glare. <laughs> totally, yeah. They, they give you this, like, intimidating stare where you're like, and I'm not going to go any closer to you. I'm just going to, like, walk away. Yeah, exactly. And kangaroo are really annoying, too, because they're, really unpredictable they'll be on the side of the road just eating grass and you're like oh look a pretty kangaroo and then suddenly for no reason it'll like jump and actually i've had one hit the side of my car so it actually jumped into the side of the car i don't know i guess it got confused but they're, they're renowned for or it looks like they're intentionally jumping in front of the car that's really interesting. Well, now I know. Stay away from kangaroos. They're not cute and cuddly. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of them are cute and cuddly, but on the whole, probably not. Now that we've heard a little bit about the type of driver you are, let's go back to your driving first. How would you describe your first time driving experience and who was it with? The first time I ever drove a car was with my dad. It was here in Australia and we had just taken a load of trash to the dump which was on a country gravel road. And on the way home, dad was like, oh, why don't you drive? And we were towing a trailer and it was in his, he had a big sedan that was a five-speed, like a standard manual transmission. And I remember struggling so hard to, to deal with the clutch and get it moving. And it was, it was embarrassing and scary to feel the car lurching and moving violently because in all the years I'd been in it with dad driving, it had never done that before. Dad drove it really smoothly. So I remember being really confused about like, why is this so difficult? Dad makes it look so easy. Would you prefer to drive an automatic or a manual? Oh, I definitely prefer to drive a manual. I really love being you know, connected and being part of the process of, and how fast you're going and it makes it easier to slow down and it's more fun as well. You just get to play with the machine instead of, I feel like when you drive an automatic, you, you're closer to being a passenger. All you have to do is put your foot down and you go, put your foot down and you stop and that's it. Yeah, I feel like you have an easier chance of zoning out or not paying as much attention when you're in automatic because you don't have to do as much. Yeah, totally. And especially when you're going downhill or something, I find it hard to tell how fast am I going when I'm in an automatic. There's no easy way to keep track of that. When you're describing driving, like your dad just putting you into the car for the first time, I can only imagine what it was like learning to drive a manual and just being put into it and having to figure out everything. Yeah. And I guess it was just how he decided to do it of like, oh yeah, you know, take your foot off the clutch and it'll go. And I remember stalling it a few times and then revving the engine really hard and it was baptism of fire. And then, and then I have a funny memory too. We got to a T intersection. And so I had to turn 90 degrees and I remember I just turned the steering wheel a little bit and then was really, con and dad was like, keep turning, keep turning. I, I didn't, I didn't realize you had to turn the steering wheel so much to actually make the car turn even just 90 degrees. Yeah. It's not like a video game, <laughs> just slight turn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was funny to realize all of those differences of it, it's so much different in real life than I guess I had thought of as a kid. How would you describe your driving test experience? Were you able to pass it on the first try? I did pass it on the first try, I remember. And I was really nervous. I remember back then I was 17. I just turned 17. And I was pretty timid back then. I didn't have much confidence. And so I was shaking and nervous. But actually, my test went really well. I didn't do anything wrong that I remember. Maybe I lost a point here or there. 
But all in all, I, I remember I had to do a reverse parallel park and that was that was the scariest part for me or the most intimidating. But I had driven out there with my dad to do the test and on the way to the testing station, dad was like, oh, why don't you practice a park and, and just over there behind that red car? So I practiced one and I did really well. And then during the test, I actually parked in that exact same spot behind the red car. So that really helped when the, when the instructor was like, oh, why don't you park behind that red car? I thought to myself like, yes, I can do this. I'm like, I got it. <laughs> yeah. And then, so it went well and I got my license. That's awesome. That your dad picked the same exact spot. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, I've already done this. I got it. And then I have a, a really funny memory too. So that was in Australia. And then about seven or eight years later, I moved to Canada. And back then the licenses didn't just transfer. You couldn't, you couldn't just swap your Australian for a Canadian. So I had to go and do a driving test and all of that again. So I did the written test and they gave me a learner permit in Canada, but I'd already driven there in my own car in Canada because I was just driving with my Australian license. And so to do my driving test, I drove there in my own car with no one with me because it was all the rules were just strange. And so I went for a drive with the instructor and I remember we were just chatting the whole time and, oh yeah, turn around here, park there, whatever. And we get back to the station and I park and he was like, Dan, I didn't even write anything on the piece of paper. It's pretty obvious you can drive a car. <laughs> it, was, it was the strangest experience because I was like 27 or something at the time. But to have to go through that experience of being a 16-year-old again, it was funny. Well, that's awesome. It worked out pretty smoothly for you. And chatting with a guy helped you just get through it. And he did not pay attention to what you were actually doing. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, in those 10 years from, from when I was 16 to, to 26, I, I gained a lot of confidence and a lot of practice. And so I think I, I was a different person, but it, yeah, it was just so much easier and so much different to, to do the test the second time around. Since you have been driving in different countries and you mentioned that you couldn't transfer it when you went to Canada, do you have to do anything special when you're driving in other countries in terms of your license? What we actually do is you get an international driving permit. And so you can get it from the Automobile Association. And it's, it's really strange. It's basically an international driving license that says you can drive in 150 countries or something. And so I always find that really bizarre because I don't know what the road rules are in Bangladesh or like South Africa, but I'm legally allowed to drive there, which seems a little bit dangerous. But that, that's all you have to do. You, you have your regular license from wherever you're from at home, and then you have an international permit, and you can drive basically anywhere in the whole world. And, and like you said, people just, they give you a free pass because they're like, oh, he's not from here. Like, oh, he didn't know about that crazy rule. We'll just forget about it. I feel like it depends where you are. Some people are probably like, oh, come on, a person from out of, <laughs> out of state or out of the country, like, get out of my way. <laughs> Yeah, I think it depends how stressed they are. And if, if they're doing their daily mm -hmm. commute and they're stuck in traffic, they're like, get out of my way. You've been so many places. And I know you mentioned earlier about extortion attempts. Have you ever gotten a ticket while you're driving? I have gotten a couple of tickets. I'm really proud, though. I went a decade of my life before I got my first speeding ticket. And it, it is a strange thing when you're in Latin America, when you're in Africa. There's a lot of corrupt police and military. In some countries, you get pulled over basically every single day and they'll just try to come up with any excuse to, to have you give them money. And usually they're just making stuff up. I had people tell me my tires were expired. Oh, I, I crossed the yellow line when I didn't. Or 
and they're just trying really hard. Like if you give them money, they're just going to put it in their pocket and take it home. It's not a proper legal ticket. And my most memorable ticket actually, so this happened all the way down the coast of West Africa. So I was like, I was in the Congo, Cameroon, and it was so wild and so remote. I crossed 17 countries, but my passport didn't even get scanned once because at all the border crossings, they didn't even have computers. They just write your name down in a book. They write it down with a pen. That's what the international borders are like. So it's really remote, mud and wild. And I hadn't seen development or technology for a year. And and I felt like I was out in the jungle. And then I drove into Botswana, which is much, much more developed paved roads and, and proper gas stations. And And I wasn't really paying attention to the speed limits and I was driving in my usual make it up fashion. And so a policeman pulls me over and he's wearing this uniform and he's got badges and a hat and a really nice police car. And I thought to myself, oh, this is all a bit more legit than what I'm used to. And my standard approach for getting out of a ticket, you let it go on for a while and they're like, oh, you were speeding, you have to pay us $50. And so I talk for a long time and then I usually say, I don't have any cash on me because I'm really worried someone's going to steal from me. All I have is my visa card. And so I have to go to the bank to pay. So if you write me out a ticket, I'll go to the bank and I'll pay the ticket and and I'm sorry. And 99 times out of 100, they'll then leave you alone because they don't actually want you to pay the ticket at the bank because then they don't get any money for their own pocket. What they really want is you to just slip them a $20 bill. And so once you make it really clear you don't have any money, they're like, oh, whatever, go away. Like, we're not wasting any more time. And so, you know, I, I'm in Botswana and I let this develop for a while. And so I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I just got into the country. I don't have any money yet. I need to go to the bank. And I held up my visa card. And so we're in what I think is the middle of nowhere. And this guy's like, no problem. He pulled out a wireless credit card machine on the side of a dusty road in Botswana <laughs> and processed my credit card. And I paid like a $50 fine on this wireless machine that apparently had 3G service. And I just had to shake my head and be like, oh, I guess he got me. <laughs> wow. I didn't expect that. No, I like I, I probably used that excuse a hundred times or more of like, oh, I'm sorry, I only have my visa card. And then there was that one time out of a hundred where the guy was like, oh, that's okay. You can just pay with that. They're probably like, oh, we know this, these excuses. We're not going to let that fly. I wonder, <laughs> Carry this around with them. I wonder if he thought it was strange or for him, that's like an everyday occurrence. He's like, oh yeah, fine. Use your card. That's not a problem. How does that, does, I guess if you get enough tickets on your international license, does it have any kind of impact on it? I don't think so. No, I I don't think there's any connection or any feedback in terms of if you do things wrong. And a good example of that, actually, in South Africa, the big cities have like really big freeways that have automated toll stations. And so it takes a photo of your license plate and you have to pay however much it is per day to use the freeways. But of course, I was driving in South Africa with my Canadian license plate. So they took a photo of my Canadian license plate, but it's not like they're going to have my address on file. So I just use the tollways in South Africa for free. That's one way to do it. Well, I mean, I didn't know what else to do because I couldn't, I don't know, call up and pay and be like, oh, yeah, I have this foreign license plate. I'm sure they'd be like, yeah, who cares, whatever. Yeah, it's too much work. Yeah, so there's some advantages to driving a foreign car and having a foreign driver's license. And the other one I found out actually in Tanzania, the police also are really strict on speeding and they're always pulling you over and they have radar guns even, which again, felt like it was from the future. But what I learned is 
they have a little computer they have to type your driver's license into and then that will issue you a ticket and then you have to pay it. But because I only had my foreign one, my driver's license number wasn't in their system. So they would type the number in and then the computer would say, no, that's not valid. So then they'd sort of stand around for half an hour and be like, uh, we can't write you a ticket. Okay, you can go. <laughs> so so I, got, I got out of more than a few tickets in Tanzania that way where they were just like, oh, we can't give you a ticket. Go away. We don't have time for this. Just go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. Some days it's really fun and it works to your advantage and you're like, I'm just going to use, like, because I'm from somewhere else, I'll just let this play. I know what's going to happen, but I'll just let it go for half an hour and be like, yep, okay, I'm on my way. Yeah, it helps you out now that whenever you go somewhere, you're like, okay, I know how to get out of this. Exactly, yeah, but it's frustrating now that I'm here in Australia driving an Australian car. I went on all the tollways the other day in Melbourne and I had to pay like $35 for the day to drive on the whole tollway system. And I was like, oh, rats, I, you know, I can't get out of that because they have my license plate. Darn, didn't yeah. work. <laughs> it's like, what, you had to pay for tolls? What? Exactly, right? I'm, I, I'm not a foreigner anymore. I'm like, oh, I'm just part of the system. What would you say is your most memorable animal encounter? There have definitely been a lot of animal encounters. And they, they vary differently, I find. When I was in the national parks in Botswana, in Zambia, it was really common to just drive along and see elephants like 20 yards off the road. So I'm, I'm sitting in the driver's seat and I couldn't even use the zoom lens on my camera because the animal was too close and just, just look at it. And I had to swerve off the road to avoid lions a few times. But I always found the really special ones were when I wasn't in a national park. So you hadn't paid for entry. There's no fences. You're just out in the wild and driving along. There's a herd of elephants on the road. And so you just stop and wait. And sometimes you wait for 20 minutes. Always the herd of elephants just slowly move across the road and eat some trees and, and you give them lots of space because they're a bit unpredictable. But it, it always felt special to me to realize that they're not in a national park. They're not locked in a fenced area. These are just wild animals. They just roam around and roads to them. They just, oh, well, we'll just, you know, go about our life. And so every time that happened, it always like, was really really exciting for me to be like whoa i'm really doing it this is really africa yeah it must have probably felt really surreal at moments you're like whoa this is this is actually here so surreal so like pinch yourself of because i spent years and years planning and saving money trying to get there and then doing it was exhausting and i was so in the moment i couldn't i couldn't see the forest for the trees but then yeah a moment like that or you're sitting around the campfire at night and you hear a lion roar and, and I guess there's something like deep down inside of us that knows the sound of a lion roaring and your whole body just like screams out, run, 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 <laughs> like this is life or death. And so you have those moments where you're like, oh yeah, I guess I'm really in the African wilderness and there's lions around. I better be careful. Well, now that we've heard uh, about your driving past, your current driving, let's talk about the future of driving. What are your thoughts on self-driving cars and would you get in one? Yeah, I think they're really interesting. And, and I think it's the future in terms of safety. So many people are killed every single day on the roads. It's, it's terrible. And if computers can make it safer, then I, I think we will adopt them. And actually, I've driven a Tesla. It didn't have the crazy self-driving, but it, I was on the freeway and it did that thing where it'll change lanes by itself. It'll accelerate to match the car in front or slow down uh, and it's a really eerie feeling that you can let go of the steering wheel so 
I guess for people like me, I'm 39. I guess it's maybe never going to feel natural. But I think anyone who's in their teens right now, for them, that'll just be normal life. Like, of course, your car just drives you around. Why, why would you want to drive a car? I could just read or play with my phone instead of having to drive the car. Yeah, I feel like for people who have actually driven, they might be more on the fence of like, do I want to give up my driving ability? Because some people really enjoy it. Like you said, you love you love being the driver. But then those, I guess, younger generation who haven't actually driven yet, it might be like, oh, like this will be the norm. I don't need to drive. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. And, and we'll realize too that driving is actually really inconvenient, but it takes up so much of our lives. And instead, if you could go to sleep or talk to your family or just be more like a train where you just get on it and then when you get off you're at your destination and and you don't feel exhausted and it's not dangerous like I think the world will be a better place but it's going to take quite a while to adjust to that is that something that you would like to get in or would you prefer to stick to driving yourself I can see it both ways a self-driving car I think it'd, it'd be really fun and useful if you're just commuting to work every day or some known easy trip, you're just using it for transport. But also I'd really love to still drive my own car when I'm going out into the wilderness or or going off-road or exploring or just having an adventure where it's like, I'm not actually on a timeline. I'm just going to drive out here and see where I get to for the weekend. Yeah. And then you won't be able to drive your manual vehicle anymore if you have a self-driving car. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, I think it'll change so much where it's more like you just sit in the car and look out the windows, just like you do on a train or a bus. It's really passive. You're not, you're not connected. You're not engaged. And it'll feel, I think, a bit like you're not making your own decisions about where to go. You get to an intersection, the car just turns left or right based on the GPS instead of like, oh, it looks beautiful that way and it looks boring that way. The car might go the boring way. Yeah, there has to be like an override function. No, no, take the scenic route. Yeah, which like for us, it's going to be, yeah, I want to drive. <laughs> like, let, let me be in charge. Bonus question time. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm excited to know what this is. If you could make one new driving law, what would it be? I actually, I, nothing comes to mind at the front. Wow, you've really stumped me on that one. <laughs> it could be as realistic or unrealistic as you want it to be. I think... I think that we'd be safer if everyone had to take some sort of advanced driving course early on when you've got your license, go for a weekend, like go to a racetrack and drive fast and skid out and slam on the brakes. And like, for me, I I guess I would think that would be fun, but also just understand the car a bit better. Because I think lots of us, we don't really appreciate that it's a two ton piece of steel moving really fast and it's, it's dangerous when and we all should concentrate more and not use our cell phones and stuff like that. But to go and to go and learn and have have like more driver training, I think that'd be well, personally it would be fun, but I think it would also make it safer. I think that's a really good idea. I mean, especially here or where in areas where it snows. I don't think a lot of people understand how to handle ice or the different driving conditions. So having extra training in those kind of conditions would be really helpful and practical. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. I feel like it's such a thing you need to practice and you need to keep practicing because every year when the snow comes, I have the same feeling where it's like, oh, do I remember how to do this? Like this feels a bit sketchy. That's actually funny that you said that should be a law because we had someone, I think 
two seasons back who said the exact or something very similar about everyone should be required to drive on a race course. Oh, okay, yeah. And I guess for, for me, it would be fun to do a weekend on a race course. But even like we said, more practice, like go somewhere where it's safe to do so in the snow and intentionally slide out. Pretend there's a moose on the road and just slam on the brakes and see what happens. Because I think a lot of people will be surprised. It's a lot sketchier and a lot scarier than you think. And then when it comes to it and you do have to slam on the brakes, bad things are going to happen. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the driving education that you get before you get your license is enough to like, okay, understand this is how you drive. But having that additional tips and information on what to do after you get your license, like, okay, now you got your license this is what you should do in these certain situations. Kind of like being an adult. You just push into the adult world and you're like, okay, well now how do I adult? Similar like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it feels like anyone who just got their license, it's more like, oh, you'll just figure it out in the next few years. And if you're lucky, you'll get away without a crash, but maybe you'll just have a few crashes and that'll, that's how you're going to learn, which isn't ideal. Do you have any final tips or any advice that you would like to give other drivers? My advice definitely is just get out there and enjoy it and and figure out what it is you love doing. And, and as much as I love driving, I just use it as a way to get to beautiful places. So I can go hiking and camping and fishing and whatever it is in the outdoors. So for me, it, it's like go out there and have fun, get outside, use your vehicle, get somewhere beautiful and then put up a camp chair and read a book in the sunshine whatever that whatever the happiness looks like for you use your car and go and do it yeah i agree just take the adventures and then just let it take you where it takes you yeah that's right i feel like cars are amazing enablers of adventures and just go with it before we let you go i want to give you the opportunity to plug yourself and let our listeners know where they can find you i'm fairly active across social media and my handle is the road chose me so i'm on instagram and youtube now as well and I've got videos on YouTube from pretty much every country in Africa. And then tips and advice too to help people get out there and have their own adventures around the world or up to Alaska or wherever they're thinking about going. So that's all The Road Chose Me online. And then I've written a couple of books as well. I wrote a book documenting my trip from Alaska to Argentina. And I wrote one about my three years around Africa as well. And so it's, it's not only the adventures I had, but it's the misadventures, the things that went wrong, the highlights touches on some politics, how the media portrays the world, my own feelings and the ups and downs. So all of the adventures that I've had behind the wheel. And those books are also under the name The Road Chose Me. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was so fun talking to you about your driving experiences all around the world. And now we know how to get out of tickets and tolls in other countries. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much too. This has been a lot of fun to remember all the craziness. That was an amazing conversation, which I mean, all of our conversations we have are amazing, but he was not one of the first to recommend that there should be some kind of like racetrack course or something along those lines. I think our guest back in season two, I think it was Elijah Hall, I believe he was episode 11, also mentioned something similar, but I'm all for it. What are your thoughts on this? Would you be open to a racetrack course? So aside from it being like, great for learning skills which would be awesome i just think it would be cool i want to take a racetrack course i want to learn more about cars just like because again like we were talking about i don't think that even with driver's ed you don't learn that much 
actually about the car itself just like in this season talking to shannon the spain driving test is more it asks you more questions about like physical car knowledge in addition to road knowledge which i feel like we need here because people don't know the basics myself included and i would like to learn more yeah i feel like i agree with you but personally again I don't think our driver's ed actually taught us anything. Well, I don't think it taught me anything. I feel like you had a better driving instructor than I did. It felt like one of those elective, I guess, classes that you take. Elective? <laughs> Electives. You didn't, You had to take it. It wasn't an elective. Or like those gen ed classes that you have to take in order to graduate high school or college, but you don't really get anything from them. They're just like, oh, sometimes I feel like a waste of time, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved to have this more advanced driving course which would have been more beneficial to actually teaching me something about driving as opposed to just going through the motions of like I took a driving class the advanced driving course would teach you more like you said that Shannon in Spain was mentioning that they have to learn basic maintenance and repairs I feel like that would be so beneficial especially if you do commute as long as we do and you're on the road for that long just like be, how to change a tire. Exactly. Like, and the amount of flats that I have gone through, I think it would be very useful for me to know how to at least change a tire, which I should learn really soon. <laughs> well, I mean, you could do what Chris did and just <laughs> learn via YouTube University at the time when you need it. Well, okay. At the times when I first got flats, I didn't have a smartphone. Yeah. So where would I YouTube? <laughs> YouTube University. <laughs> what if they just made the drivers and teachers race car drivers? Are what if race drivers... car drivers taught drivers No, that's what, that's what I was trying to say. What if race car drivers were your drivers and teachers? Or you have to just go to a racetrack where they're at and like that's where you go for driver's ed as opposed to a classroom in a building. I'm very hands-on. I like it. Well, that was Dan Grek. We hope you enjoyed hearing his driving stories and be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode to hear a sneak peek of next week's episode with driver Erin Hines, who shared about her different rental car experiences around the world, like the time her car shut off in Jordan and the time that she had to file a police report in Dubai. Thank you for tuning in this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support the show by sharing it with your friends subscribing or leaving us a review it truly does help us get discovered thank you for choosing to drive with us and we'll see you next week when we visited jordan which was actually one of the last places we went to before the pandemic started we would road trip the entire country most of the trip no problems everything went smoothly until finally we were driving one of the last stretches of our trip from Aqaba up to the dead sea my partner, like I said before, likes to speed. And so he was speeding a lot of the way and we were in the desert. So we were most of the way through the trip when suddenly my partner looks at me and says, the car shut off. I looked back at him and I was like, what do you mean that we're still moving?